Mets fans, prepare yourselves to get Metsmerized. Hello and welcome to episode 15 of the Get Metsmerized podcast, presented as always by MetsmerizedOnline.com. I'm your host, Sal Manzo, joined by MMO Executive Editor Michael Mayer. Mike, how are we doing this week? Doing pretty good. How about you, Sal? Doing all right. It's only two weeks into the lockout, but it feels like forever. Feels um, like months. Yes. Before we get started, everyone here at MMO just wanted to say congratulations to the Hodges family. The long overdue honor of Gil being voted into the Hall of Fame, obviously way, way overdue, but did just want to say, you know, congratulations and looking forward to, you know, hopefully in the summer, you know, that the the family being able to uh, celebrate that. But from a former Mets manager, Mike, let's jump right into the three finalists to be the new Mets manager. Yeah. So we're at Matt Cotrero. Joe Espada and Buck Showalter, as of tonight, all three of the second round of interviews have been done. This set of interviews was done with Steve Cohen at his house, with Billy Billy Epler and Sandy Alderson there as well. But this was obviously more of a hands-on approach from Cohen to kind of make sure that he is going to be cohesive with the choice that they end up making too. Um which we've seen so far this offseason as that is a trend with Cohen between um, he started it by he talked about how he had dinners with some of the players that were going to be free agents to kind of wine and dine them per se to just make sure they knew um, Javi Baez. He talked about Noah Syndergaard too, um, to make sure he knew that the Mets were still interested in them being Mets. We know that he was involved in the front office search from talking to um, the specific candidates. Um, And we know that he's been involved um, at least some degree to pursuing free agents too, from talking to Max Scherzer and um, him and his wife talking to Max Scherzer's family um, to make sure they knew how committed he was to winning and he was willing to do whatever it took to win. So I, I think that's the first thing to take from this is that whoever they hire, it's someone that Cohen's gonna, have to agree that he's comfortable as well as Billy Epler. No, I hear you. And I wanted to know, you know, just speaking on uh, Steve Cohen's involvement with this, you know, especially now in the later stages, do you like that he's, you know, involved with the manager search or does it like give you any pause because of previous ownership or anything? I don't mind it. I like it just because I feel as though the difference is Cohen will, um, you know, bow down to the baseball people. He will, you know, respect their opinion ultimately and let them make the decisions because they're the people, you know, running the ship. But I just kind of want to get your thoughts on that a little bit. Yeah, I think an owner being hands on is fine as long as, like you said, that they're going to trust. Billy Epler and the rest of the baseball people to make the decisions that they hired them to do. If he's going to do that, I think it's a good thing for him to be involved. I think it's like from what you heard from Max Scherzer, it sounded like a positive that Cohen was involved in that process. Um, As long as Steve Cohen stays Steve Cohen in this process and doesn't become Jeff Wilpon or Artie Marino, any of those types and kind of overextend himself into baseball decisions I, I think it's fine for this type of owner to be hands-on it's his team he wants to make his mark on this team and he wants to change the culture of this team so 
if he wants to do that by him being involved as much as possible, um, uh, yeah, I, I think in the end, as long as he lets the baseball folks do their thing, I, I think it's a positive thing for him to be involved. No, agreed. And then I'll, I guess I'll take it another step further. You mentioned another name, Sandy Alderson, that was there. Should be worried about him. You know, being uh, there, I guess I understand he is technically the president of the Mets, but, you know, should we be worried about his, you know, um, input or anything, you know, maybe affecting or, you know, ruining anything, I guess? Yeah, I think kind of the feeling I've gotten since that they hired Billy Epler is that finally Sandy Alderson is kind of fading into the background when it comes to this stuff. I know that some of the free agents they signed, he did have contact with those free agents prior to Epler kind of finalizing some of those deals, which is what we saw last year when they traded for Lindor. Alderson's kind of the one that started that trade and Porter ended up finishing it up. I think from what I've heard, his level of involvement is minuscule at this point, which I think is the right thing. I mean, that's why you brought a GM in Billy Epler that has experience doing this. That's why he brought him in. And that's why you're building up a analytics department like you are to trust those guys with decisions too, with Ben Salzmer running that. Um, so I, I think as long as Alderson kind of, kind of just plays like this leadership role with Epler, like if Epler has any questions, then Sandy's kind of just there with that. I, I, I don't think you want him making any of those big decisions anymore. Absolutely. You know, the, the, le- the less he does, the better. We've, uh, we've said that a million times, and hopefully that's the case. But Mike, you know, kind of real quick, why don't you break down for us kind of um, the pros and the cons for the three finalists? You know, obviously we, we, we know who we think is probably the overwhelming favorite in Buckshow Walter, but, you know, in general, why don't you, you know, break down a little bit for us, you know, each candidate and kind of what they bring to the table that could be good. And maybe that's something that might give you some pause. Yeah, I mean, so let's start with Buck Showalter. We've discussed him a lot. Mets fans have discussed him a lot. Um, We've run polls on MMO. Other people have run polls. I don't think any have been done very recently, like the last couple of days, but up until like the last week, it was still a majority of at least people on Twitter. Mets fans are on Twitter, which is a small amount, but it's a vocal amount that, yeah, the majority of people in that group that were voting wanted Buck Showalter Uh, on our Facebook pages. A lot of the comments we get on there again is a majority for Buck Showalter. So, I mean, Showalter is obviously the experienced one of the three. I mean, that's, I think that's his clear advantage is that he's managed a ton of games in major league baseball. Obviously you're looking at some of the negatives. Um, He's also been out of major league baseball for three years. Nowadays, baseball changes. I mean, monthly, what teams are looking at, how they're evaluating players, that type of stuff changes constantly. How managers manage the game has changed since the last time he managed. How managers get information to players has changed. The information they're giving the players has changed. I think that's kind of something that hasn't been looked at a ton when it comes to Walter compared to the other candidates. Again, I know Walter has that experience he managed in New York, albeit quite a while ago when he managed in New York. So I think I think my main key when talking about Showalter is that I just don't think he's the slam dunk that Mets fans think he is. I think they're hovering towards Showalter simply because he's the only experienced candidate available. I had this conversation on Twitter 
uh, it would, I think would be completely different if someone like Mike Schild or Ron Washington was still in the conversation. I think, let's say it was Mike Schild and Mike Schild was a finalist. I, I would bet Mike Schild would be getting close to or similar type of backing from Mets fans. I know he didn't manage in New York, which is one of the positives for Buck, but he has managerial experience. He has recent managerial experience. And if we're just talking success, he's had more one at a higher percentage than Buck Showalter. So, and that's kind of getting back to Buck is he's barely over 500. He doesn't have a world series ring and he doesn't have much success in the playoffs. So to me, getting back to that is why I don't see him as a slam, much of a slam dunk as some fans think as this candidate that he's not a perfect fit, but I think, like a lot of people have talked about the last couple of days is all three of these guys, if they end up with any three of these guys, I think you have to be happy. I think this is a process that the Mets have done a good job of being deliberate with and making sure they go do this the right way. And they've ended up with three really good candidates. Yeah. So I think with Walter, it's do the Mets kind of push aside some of the other stuff like we've talked about, they are now one of the biggest analytics teams in baseball. And Walter has certainly talked about his openness to work with it, whatever, but we already know the other two candidates are going to be able to um, digest that stuff and get it to the players because they're working on two of the teams that do it better than anyone. So we also have to look at that too. And so that getting to pros for Espada and Quintrero obviously that's a huge positive for both of those guys coming from the Astros and Rays, two teams that were kind of the forefront of the analytics and continue to use those to be two of the more successful teams in baseball. And I think that's a pro for both of those guys too, is that they've been in baseball the last three years on teams that have won. They've been in the playoffs and made runs. Um, So you've got two guys that albeit isn't managers, but they have been successful at the major league level in recent history. And with the candidates too, with a spot in Quattrero, I kind of wanted to touch on, um, I think what's been a misconception by Mets fans, or it could just be baseball fans in general when talking about manager. But with Mets fans, they've been like, well, we had Mickey Calloway, first-time manager, that didn't work out. We had Luis Rojas, first-time manager, didn't work out. And comparing Quatrero and Espada to them, which I think is unfair and not really correct either. Calloway was a pitching coach, and Rojas was a quality control coach. Completely different than being a bench coach, especially bench coaches on the teams that they're on because they have so much responsibility on these types of teams that are using so much information, even more so talking about Espada with the Astros, Dusty Baker has mentioned it multiple times of how much leeway he has given Espada and how much responsibility he has given Espada. I mean, if you read between the lines with what he's talked about, and uh, Jim Duquette mentioned this the other day on SNY too, talking about this, the Astros are kind of working with two managers, really, with Dusty Baker and Espada. So, I think some fans are kind of seeing this as a first-time manager and more specifically to Spada, I, I really don't see that as an issue for him as a candidate. I think 
his overall experience. He's got close to 30 years in baseball going to back to his playing days and close to 20 years coaching. And he's been a first base coach, third base coach, even worked in the front office with the Yankees as a special assist assistant to the GM when he worked with Billy Epler with the Yankees. So I think that gives him an interesting perspective too, to have when he worked in the front office and then to be a bench coach with the type of responsibilities that he has um, with the players in the clubhouse and making the in-game decisions. He, Dusty has talked about how Espada is really the driving force on a lot of those in-game decisions, which as we know, that would be, I think if you talked about Mets fans, biggest critique of Rojas was his in-game decisions. So, yeah, I, I think, I think when you really try to look at it and break it down more in depth, I think these candidates, Couture on a spot are really closer to show Walter than some might've thought early on. And I know it's tough to kind of sift through stuff. Cause I mean, let's face it. Show Walter has been in baseball for a long time. So he's, he's a good guy. So he's made a lot of friends in baseball. He works for MLB network. So there's a lot of people out there that are pushing for him and putting it out there that they're pushing for him in the media. So, I mean, that, that certainly helps get his name out there. And there was, there was a lot of media pushing for him early before we even knew candidates. So that type of backing is, it's going to gain momentum. And it certainly has with Mets fans. I think another thing interesting with uh, Spada is how highly he's thought of too. I mean, Cashman said that, he's one of the best coaches he's ever had with the Yankees. And I mean, to me, Cashman is a good GM that's had a lot of coaches because he's been there for a while. I think that holds a lot of weight, even in the article from the New York post where Teixeira was talking about how Showalter was one of the smartest managers he had. He also in that same article was talking about how good he thought Espada was with the Yankees too, and how he thought he handled um, all those players there too. So I think, I mean, I know it sounds like I'm pushing for a spotter and maybe I am because he, if you're looking at all this stuff, he sounds like a really good candidate and he does have some managerial experience. He's done it in winter ball. And then he also coached for team Puerto Rico. So he has some connections there for the WBC because Lindor Lugo and Diaz were all on that team too. So yeah, I just, I, I want Mets fans to kind of, get a better understanding of the candidacy of all these guys. And I, I, I think that kind of brings them closer together. It's interesting. You know, I learned a lot as far as what you were talking about with the spot. Um, and, you know, he would be, I guess, my, my second option of the three right now, because not only as far as what you just said, which I think was great insight, but also he was uh, on the Mets radar before this previously with other managers that they'd interviewed. And I believe he's the only one that like repeat from previously when, um, you know, they were interviewing for managers that they're, that they're interviewing again. So I think that says something as well, you know, as far as Buck goes, I talked to Wayne Randazzo last week and he really, um, you know, hammered the point that the Mets, seem to be and i guess it's a little ironic because obviously we're talking about how they beat you know beefed up the analytics department but they really are looking for someone that has leadership within the clubhouse and can keep that cohesiveness it sounds like and i think the overwhelming you know favorite with that is buck showalter i think you know i adam jones you know really you know went to bat for him online that seems to be the biggest thing not you know not only 
far as, you know, he managed in New York. And I agree that it was a long time ago, um, long time ago. <laughs> and I think that needs to be, you know, noticed a little bit. But, you know, I, I don't think obviously if he's going to, you know, wanting to manage again, he's been out of the game, like you said, three years. I'm sure he's going to bend a bit as far as the analytics are concerned and making sure that that information is digested to the players and using it in game. And, and you know, as far as maybe who's making the decisions with lineups every day, that sort of thing. But if you're bringing in someone like Showalter, you're also not, you know, Wayne Randazzo made the point, you're not going to handcuff him either, right? Because that's what got him there. So it's it's interesting. I, I think Buck is the guy. I don't love him to begin with. I've agreed with you. I've said Mike Schilt and Ron Washington for weeks and weeks and weeks, um, but they don't want to come here. And I guess the Mets don't want them uh, for whatever reason. It's a win now team. And I worry with someone like Joe Espada, who seems to have the pedigree, you know, like you said, and could, you know, turn out to be, you know, a real uh, great snag for the Mets. If they don't start off well with how win now they are, I think that's more my worry with anything. And that's what happened with Rojas. They didn't win right away. And you don't have really time for growing pains. And I think, unfortunately, if that happens, I think you'd, people are going to feel more comfortable with someone like Showalter because of that quote-unquote experience than someone like Espada, who's a quote-unquote first-time major league manager. Yeah, but who, who – I guess the important thing is who are we talking about being more comfortable? Are we talking about fans being more comfortable or are we talking about players? Because, I mean, ultimately – it doesn't really matter if the fans are comfortable. Obviously, I mean, you want them to be more comfortable, but in this sense, it doesn't really matter if they are more comfortable. It matters what the clubhouse thinks. It matters what they think and how they're feeling if they're more comfortable. And I don't, I still don't get kind of to what Wayne was talking about. And I know other people have pointed out, some people have tried to drive home Well, the Mets have to do someone with experience they have to hire someone with managerial experience if it was such a prerequisite then all three of the finalists would be guys that had managerial experience unless you think this is a complete farce and they were just gonna hire Showalter all along and the other two guys were just along for the ride otherwise it just doesn't make sense that that narrative is true because then you would have the finalists would be Showalter, Shield, and Osmus. I mean, Osmus was one of the guys that did interview. So if they were really um, holding experience that high, you would think we would have all three experience. I think that kind of goes back to the misconception that I was talking about is these guys do have experience. I mean, Espada and Cotrero both played in the minor leagues and then have coached for a ton of years too. So I think teams in baseball are counting that type of stuff as experience when you're coming into this managerial type of position. And let's be honest, the manager doesn't have the same type of workload that he did when Buck Showalter started as a manager. They, they don't have that same, I mean, they don't have the same workload and they don't have the same type of pull when it comes to the decisions. You have front office that is very involved in even small things like making a lineup that they're involved in. So I think, I think you have to kind of try to tie all of these things in. And I'm not saying Buck would be a bad candidate. I, I ultimately don't think he would. I, I think Buck is a really good person, which is a key for the Mets right now to have that type of person leading them. I don't necessarily agree with simply the fact that he had experience that he's going to be a better leader, 
I think that's just kind of an assumption you always make with an older person or someone who's done that job. I, that's not always true. No, I, I think, like I said, I, I think, and I focused more on the other candidates today just because we focused so much on Buck. I mean, we've talked a lot about Buck and the positives he'd bring. Like you mentioned, Adam Jones putting out those comments about how much he liked Buck carries a lot of weight in baseball. Adam Jones is a guy that a lot of people respect. So that's obviously something that you, ha you have to weigh into your thought process. I think the Mets, like I said, are doing the right thing and how deliberate they're being, um, getting Cohen involved to make sure he's comfortable too. And the other thing is you have to think about is whoever this manager is, whoever they choose, is really someone you want to be the Mets manager. This isn't a two, three-year thing. I know we talk about you want to win now, but the Mets as an organization – at ownership, at the front office level, at coaching level, at the um, minor league coordinator level, they need continuity. They need someone that this is a long-term answer. In, in that respect then, and again, just from what it seems like that Buck is the favorite, then how do you get that? Because I'm not, and I'm not trying to be rude or anything to him, obviously, but like he's an older man you know, he's like what, mid, mid sixties, late sixties, something like that. You know, obviously I'm not saying he's going anywhere anytime soon, but like, you know, he, even though the workload is lessened, like you said, on a manager, which I don't agree with, you know, I don't like that either. I believe in a chain of command, you pay a manager to a coach to make those decisions. That's a whole nother, you know, discussion for another day. You know, if that, if you're looking for someone that's going to be here for a long time, then he, if he seems like a weird candidate, then, then again, even if you, you know, experience with it. someone like Schilt would have been then the more ideal person because he's a you know experienced manager that's one that is much younger than you would think that if you're you know bring someone like that and then that would be a, a long-term thing. But to me, Buck is not that. Buck is it's it's win right now. I need to stabilize the clubhouse and hopefully, you know, he's able to blend the you know what the Mets are trying to do analytically to to what he is as a baseball person. Um, you know, I agree. Continuity, continuity is great. Um, I would like to see that as well, but it just, to me, seems like it, they're going at least, you know, the, as the favorite. And I guess it maybe, you know, contradicts itself with the other two candidates because they're not that they're, you know, they fit into that continuity hole. It doesn't seem like that's what they're trying to do with, you know, right now, it seems like they're really, you know, pushing a win right in the next couple of years. So that's what to me, it just feels like they're, you know, looking for in, in a manager. Because if you hire Showalter again, I don't, I don't see how that's a, a long-term play, you know, a long-term thing. Well, and I think so. I think to kind of tie that in, like we're talking about how all three of these guys end up as finalists with the differences. I think the reason you get Buck is one of the reasons you get Buck is the connection with Epler. Um, they both Epler and Showalter both got their real chances in baseball by stick Michael. Um, they both looked up to him. He was basically like their best friend and their, um, the person in baseball that helped them along. And I, I think that's kind of always stuck with Epler. The fact that they had that connection show show Walter and him did. So I think, I think that played a part of it. And I mean, let's be honest too, like we were talking about, this show Walter thing was pushed began being pushed before Epler was even on board. And once you get something like that out there in the New York media um, or the media in general, I mean, it was 
I mean, it was national at that point that, hey, Buck Walter is basically, he's sitting here, he's doesn't have a job and he's one of the best candidates. Because, I mean, it's also, Bob Melvin wasn't available anymore. So it's on to the next, because, I mean, if we're talking Bob Melvin was available, I mean, we're, I, no offense to Buck Showalter, but I, I think we're talking night and day here. I mean, if the Mets had wrapped up the GM earlier and Melvin had decided he wanted to come to New York, you're talking about slam dunk candidate. There's your slam dunk candidate. I think it came down to how you get to these guys, like we're talking about with the different backgrounds and different um, positives and cons is, yeah, I, I think that connection with Stick Michael is kind of the, I mean, connections are how a lot of these jobs happen in baseball and how a lot of these favorites happen. And I think, I think that kind of played a role in how Showalter's there instead of like a Mike Shield. Like there's no, Epler doesn't have that type of connection with Mike Shield that he does with Showalter, which is fine. I mean, you want Epler, Epler's going to have to work with this guy every day. So if he feels comfortable with Buck Showalter, I mean, I, who am I to question that? Um, and if Showalter goes, went into the interview today and made Cohen um, very comfortable with that connection too, and they felt as if they could be cohesive, I mean, yeah, again, who am I to argue with that? These are all three good candidates. And I, I, I think that's really the point I'm trying to make is that with all three of these guys being good candidates and the Mets doing the process the right way deliberately and having Cohen involved, we're not in that interview room whoever they felt the best with from those interviews i i think is really the that's the person you have to take given that they all have good resumes they're all there for a reason if you feel from those interviews like one of those guys stands out then hire that person and feel comfortable with it and move on because now you have to get a coaching staff in place under them and hopefully i mean Hopefully the Mets don't have that long to do that because I want the lockout to be over. <laughs> so uh, hopefully, I mean, so that we're done with the interviews. you got to imagine they're going to discuss stuff this weekend. And I mean, it wouldn't be weird to uh, make sure next week at some point that we start hearing some news. Um, obviously the Mets are going to do background check after background check and make sure they are very thorough with this type of stuff so that we don't have any issues of any sort with that. So yeah, I mean, the Mets have the advantage of the lockout so that they can be deliberate, but I also, I also don't think they want this to kind of linger too long either. Um, so yeah, I think next week we could hear something and then you start putting a coaching staff in place. Yeah, you know, at, at this point, whoever they do hire, uh, you know, it's down to these three guys. You know, I, I it seems like that uh, they, they are three good candidates for, you know, some different ways or whatever. You know, they each bring kind of their own different, you know, skill set. But wherever it is, you know, we'll, let's roll. Um, I, I trust that the Mets will be really thorough in their background checks because they've obviously proven to do that. So, I, you know. Whoever they hire, I think they're, they're going to the vetters are going to be exhausted because they'll exhaust all options. But anyway, let's move on from the manager to um, a position player in free agency. Uh, you know, the Mets have been linked to 
Uh, John Heyman said uh, the Mets will be quote unquote in on, which whatever that means, uh, Chris Bryant, you know, a lot of other teams will be on him as well. I just wanted to, you know, talk to you a little bit about what you think post lockout, what kind of deal could lure him here? Yeah, I think I keep going back and forth on whether I think the Mets really do make a serious run at Bryant because part of me says like, yeah, they, they still plan on trying to give position play. And he's really one of the ones that stick out on the free agent market that's still left. Um, but then I come back to the fact that I know that Bryant's really hoping for at least five years and potentially six years. And I just, maybe the Mets do that for a player. And I'm just not sure Chris Bryant is that player. I, I don't see that. I don't see them going five or six years. I think maybe if they could get Brian on a shorter term deal with a higher salary, maybe that's something they entertain, but I, I don't, I don't see him doing that. I, I think he's going to have enough teams interested between the Phillies, the, uh, I know the Mariners like Brian, I think someone mentioned the Braves and there, I mean, there's a, there's a long list of teams that are going to show interest in him, especially after Chris Taylor signed, because that was kind of teams backup offense option. So I just, I, I certainly think he's a fit for the Mets, but I'm also weary of just how that contract's going to play out. Seeing that the Giants are essentially not interested, to me, is a red flag. Uh, he went there, and he didn't play as well as he did in Chicago. Uh, his offense was down. While he played a bunch of different positions, his defense wasn't particularly good at any of those positions. He's a guy that um, some people have talked about with his swing that they're concerned about how he's going to age, um, which I think is a reason why the Mets or some other teams are kind of weary of giving him that five or six year deal. So, yeah, I, I think there's certainly some concerns there and there's reasons to not go that five or six years. Um, and I, I, I think he ends up somewhere else um, and the Mets end up adding a position player elsewhere. I think, I think we're going to see some trades go down. And I really think, um, I know we've talked about like Matt Chapman. I think he's a really good candidate for the Mets to try to go after. Um, I know his offense was down this year, but he's still a good offensive player and you get him on a short term deal. And I mean, even if he doesn't hit with Chapman and Lindor, you literally have one of the best left sides of the infield in baseball. I mean, you have the best left side of the infield in baseball that that that'll help out the pitchers a lot. So I right now, and of course these things can change. I mean, we don't know how long the lockout's going to happen, but I, I, I would guess that the Mets don't end up signing Brian. Yeah, no, I, I think there's going to obviously going to be a lot of suitors for him. I, I know Wayne Randazzo loves him. I gave him a glow, glowing recommendation last week. Thinks that's absolutely the guy they should go for. Because he's so flexible position-wise, um, proven winner, that whole deal. But, you know, I think the longer the lockout happens, probably the more it'll help the Mets in the sense that if they could ideally maybe throw him like a 30-plus, 35-plus million dollar one-year, two-year contract, something like that, with a crazy AAV, you know, he may not be able to turn that down and then he can go back to free agency when he's, you know, still in, you know, early thirties. So I think for something like that to happen, it's going to take the, you know, 
the longer the lockout goes, the less time, you know, players have to, to sign before spring training and all that. But yeah, you know, I, it's going to be tough. Like you said, there's going to be a lot of suitors and he's wants a long-term deal. And between, you know, the, the Lindor uh, extension last year and the, you know, the, the Scherzer signing, you know, before the lockout, uh, it may be tough, but I think he's the dude. I do. I just, it, it feels that way. Um, if they could, you know, put him at third base, uh, that would really be a huge boost. And obviously he can play, uh, in the outfield as well, but you know, we'll see. uh, it's obviously all just limbo now waiting for all these folks to sign a CBA while, you know, they just let us sit here in purgatory. But anyway, when they do sign a deal and we're allowed to go to baseball games. Yeah. I just wanted to jump in real quick. I was listening to podcast with Buster only and Kevin Malone, who was the, um, GM of the expos when that lockout happened and i just found it interesting some of the stuff he kind of talked about and of course he's not involved in baseball anymore so he didn't know the exact details but he talked about when he was gm that as soon as the lockout happened he knew he had to be sellers and there was kind of a frenzy but he was talking about how the teams while they're technically not supposed to be doing any activities we're definitely doing some activities behind the scenes I know other I've heard other people in baseball talk about how teams can technically actually be talking trades right now um, and can be like well we have this player and we could potentially trade them for this player and that type of stuff so you can get some stuff rolling so that once the lockout is over that because there's going to be a frenzy. And obviously, like you said, it kind of depends on how long the lockout lasts. But I, I did find it interesting from a former GM. He was talking about how there's certainly loopholes and how he heard. Um, he kind of said it half jokingly, but it kind of makes sense that uh, the uptick in burner phones for uh, front office members went up a lot. And even Buster only said that he had gotten a call from a weird number and one he didn't even know so he almost didn't pick it up but he picked it up and it was a front office member calling from his wife's phone because he didn't want it to be known who his number was calling someone in baseball so i i i think there there's ways around this type of stuff and as long as you can keep it quiet i i think there will i think there is going to be certain types of discussions that are at least broached and talked about um so i mean because you, you can't be completely in the dark. And these guys have to be doing something. These GMs have to be doing something. I mean, the Mets are the only one. Well, the Mets and A's are the only ones looking for a manager. So you got 20 other, 28 other GMs. I mean, they have to be doing something. So I, I think those type of discussions and at least getting so that you can have a plan for when it's done. So, I mean, these, these teams know that, oh, hey, this is exactly what we're going to go this is our top dollar for Chris Bryant. We're going to have a short period of, Hey, take it or leave it. And then we're moving on to the next option. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Um, Hopefully the lockout isn't too long so that it isn't, you don't have like two weeks before spring training to get all this stuff done because that, I mean, that, that, that would be completely bonkers just trying to get, I mean, we're talking, there's still over like 200 free agents still out there and we, we still have the A's that are going to do their fire sale and potentially the Reds too doing some trading. So to fit it into, I mean, two weeks, that would be completely bonkers. 
Don't doubt the power of Rob Manfred and the MLBPA <laughs> in a feud. Tony Clark versus Rob Manfred, anything can happen. So I am <laughs> expecting the worst. Um, you know, like you said, obviously people are doing, you know, backdoor behind the, you know, scene stuff, skeleton trades or whatever you want to call them. So just sign a deal, please. Just sign the deal. It's so annoying. You give it, it's hard for us, okay? It's hard for us. We got to figure out stuff to talk about every week in a lockout. <laughs> just sign the deal, all right? But again, you know, try and move on from that. At least something that's a little funny was there was uh, some, you know, leaked proposals, I guess, of uh, some upgraded city field that, that may be coming for this year. And it looked to just be a lot of screens, um, the highlight of that seemed to be the large jumbotron that we saw. So, Mike, how many screens are too many screens at a ballpark? Um, from the Mets and Samsung's perspective, there isn't a number, apparently. I mean, I well, it was thirteen hundred, right? Wasn't that the the ultimate number? I, I think it was thirteen hundred. Yeah. And um, so Samsung tweeted out the agreement which the Mets had said in a press release I got the email like same time that I saw the Samsung tweet so it's legit that they have this um, sponsorship together um, but Samsung in the tweet the initial tweet they had they're going to redo the scoreboard for 2023 and in the tweet Samsung had like a vision of what they thought it would be and it was just absolutely massive. And it took seconds for Mets fans and baseball fans to turn it into a meme. And so much so and so quickly so that Samsung took the tweet down. Um, I, I don't know if they took it down. Just I, It wasn't really negative backlash. It was just like, holy shit, what is this in center field? Like, how, how are the players even going to focus on the pitch coming in? Um, and then on MMO, um, our social media team had a lot of fun with it. Robbie uh, Waldrop had a lot of fun with it. He was posting it as it was getting bigger and bigger. And uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, it's good that you're going to essentially have more availability to um, watch the game and more angles, make sure you don't miss anything. They talked about um, having more screens to see replays um, and slowing down replays and stuff like that. But yet, I, I mean, some people are talking about um, a lot of like, wow, this this sounds a lot like more gearing towards betting in sports. And I mean, is or isn't, I, I'm, I'm not going to really get into that. Um, but yeah, I it, it, it felt a little over the top, but also, I mean, it, it's good to get that t type of technology in there. I mean, the Mets are going to be as high tech as it gets, or I should say City Field is going to be as high tech as it as you can get with uh, as many screens as you can possibly get into a ballpark. That the, the one center field they had like protruded into the stands. They actually made a shadow <laughs> over yeah. some of the stands. Ridiculous. Um, but yeah, you know. Uh, I, I love television. So if any of them fall off the back of a truck and, you know, that needs a home or something, they can hit me up. But, uh, you know, I agree with you about the gambling things. That kind of makes a lot of sense. Not a fan, but that's a, another topic for another day. Um, and hopefully, you know, these screens that they put on, will be watching good Mets baseball on it because no one wants to watch bad Mets baseball on all these screens. So I guess that's probably the moral of the story. Um, but that's all we have for, you know, this week. 
Mike, I think you have one more thing. Yeah, I just wanted to jump in real quick and um, kind of talk about one last topic. Uh, Robinson Cano. I mean, why wouldn't we want to talk about Robinson Cano on the podcast? Um, he's the only person in the one of the only people in the Mets system that's currently playing baseball. Um, he came back from his lower back injury earlier this week in the Dominican Republic. Um, he had a couple of back-to-back two-hit games and then went 0 for 4 last night. Um, he's hovering around 300. He's hitting 297. Unfortunately, he only has one extra base hit during a 10-game span. Um, the last two games, he's finally played second base, um, both games defensively. He hadn't done that yet. So, I mean, I, I know Mets fans. I mean, there's a portion of Mets fans that wish they didn't hear about Robinson Cano anymore, but I, I think it's important to – I mean, again, he's one of the only guys playing. Um, and it's important to just keep track of exactly what he's doing because ultimately the Mets are going to have to make a decision on him. Um, we've kind of talked about it a little bit. And, I mean, it kind of depends on what happens with the lockout too and how long it goes and what happens with the CBA. Um, because without a DH, I think it's really tough to fit him in uh, at second base. I mean, that's really where you'd like to see McNeil next year with the current roster as is. Um, so without the DH, I, I think it's tough. I, I mean, I, th- I think the Mets want to see him healthy in the Dominican Republic, see him get a good stretch of games and see if he's going to be healthy and what he's going to do because they have to pay him regardless. So, um, yeah, so keep, keep, uh, looking out for Robinson Cano updates, Mets fans. Great. Thank you for that, Mike. Hopefully the (laughs) only time anybody sees him play in second base this year or next year is in the Dominican winter league. Cause if I see him play in second base in 2022 at city field, we got a problem. Things are real bad. Hopefully there's a DH. If not again, hopefully Steve Cohen says he's a check. See you later. Go work. I squeezed that update in just for you. Sal. I thank you. Everybody knows how much I love me. I love me some Robbie. Yes. I always pull for him. He's my favorite Matt. Oh man. Ah, that's all right. Well, at least he's, uh, he's hitting a little bit. Hopefully, like I said, anything they can get out of him, I guess is a plus, but, um, you know, to that, that is the end of the show for this week. Um, you know, tune in next week. Hopefully we'll have a Mets manager to talk about on the next show, but until then, don't forget to get Metsmerized. Yeah.